0: The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM. And as usual, trying to go through all the mad tech and all the crazy stuff that's happening in the world currently. It's been a crazy two weeks in South Africa, no question, we've all lived through a bit of a... Uh, a mad time in so many respects. And once again, technology for the win. Communications remained up despite a whole host of towers being taken down and all sorts of disruptions. And, and just generally, we've ma- managed to pull things together with the help of really cool systems and, and platforms and ways of staying in touch and carrying on with our lives. So it's been really quite a challenging couple of weeks and uh, it's impacted it. Everything within the country, unfortunately. And one of the key things we're going to talk about a little bit later, I've got Jason O'Reilly, who's a cybersecurity expert, joining us around about 11.20 for Tech Talk Cafe. And if you've not been hiding under a rock, just on top of everything crazy that's happened in the last couple of days, um, Transnet, we hit with a massive uh hack, uh, whatever you want to call it. We'll go through what that means. And the impact that's going to have on us. Our ports were paralyzed for a while. That's goods moving in and out. So there's going to be shortages of stuff. And in this new connected world, it's quite simple. Remember that uh, transnet systems are interconnected between SARS, between all our other government systems. So it's a global problem that's happening with regards to all these various hacks and denials of service. And ransomwares, you name it. So stay tuned. I think it's quite an important discussion and one that will bring a little bit of clarity and perhaps some sanity to what's going on. The good news is it appears that Transnet has recovered somewhat and they mostly back online. But it certainly does indicate that we live in a, a world where you have to be extremely, extremely careful about what you do and how you work online. And it's a bit of a wild west out there globally and not just locally, despite the fact that we seem to be defining wild west currently as we speak. But moving on to probably a little bit more fun and games, which all, you know, works with interconnectedness and connectivity and everything else that we do. It appears that there are going to be more streaming options available to South Africans very, very, very shortly. Britbox, which is essentially a streaming joint venture between itv and bbc studios will be officially available on the 6th of august which is next week in south africa and that really does add to a growing list of local international options i mean it's there are a ton of streaming options obviously it comes at a cost it's going to cost just under a 100 rand i love these ninety-nine ninety-nine offers Hundred Rand sounds like a lot, ninety-nine doesn't. Crazy, but true. And it will include all the popular programs from the best of British, um, absolutely fabulous, Doc Martin. There's a there's a ton of really interesting products that I've seen over the years. Some of us or some people, I won't mention, have been doing things to get BBC and ITV on their streaming services over the last little while, but this will be legitimate. It'll be free. And it, well, when I say free, it's free to use, not free. You're going to have to pay for it. They also have a $9.99, sort of a 10% off subscription, which gives you two months free. And you can try it for seven days. But basically, I quite enjoy um, the UK services. I like some of the British stuff. Different pace to the uh, Apple TV and the Amazon Prime and Netflix that we've been getting out of the U.S. It's quite a counterpoint, different pace, different faces, different content. And it adds to the bouquet of streaming product. Uh, It's going to be interesting because if you think about all the various things going on around paying for your TV license, for normal linear streaming TV, and I mean, even people are asking me, can we get a monitor and not pay TV licenses to save 200 Rand a year? You can. There's no question about that. However, streaming services and the ability to stream content from all over the world has never been better. There's never been more content. And um, despite the hiccup that I've noticed on most streaming platforms with regard to content over the sort of COVID year, the last year, where people really weren't at full capacity Streaming has become the only way to really entertain yourself for the most part. And it depends where you are in the world, what content you get, even though that is slowly but surely breaking down. Netflix content increasing dramatically across a lot of the content they have. In fact, some of the international Netflix subscriptions include content that you do not get on Netflix in the USA. So, so many things are changing. Streaming's improving. And I think BritBox will be a really useful addition. ...to the whole host of streaming services. So if you've got, let's say, DSTV streaming... ...because that works really well... ...along with um, Showmax, along with Netflix... ...along with Amazon Prime, with Apple TV Plus... ...which I still think is not the greatest solution. There's some really cool programs on there... ...but too few for the money that they want to charge, number one. But number two, adding Brickbox will bring a whole host of of BBC programs... To the, to the mix, and I think adds a lot of value. A lot of these are not available on any other platforms, and I think it's really well worth the little additional 100 Rand. A couple of cups of coffee, and you've got the breast of British TV on your on your streaming option. Um, Current only thing I can criticize them on, no 4K, only 1080, which is HD, which is fine, but I think for most people with big TVs, it's a bit of a problem not having 4K. Maybe they'll add it down the, down the road, But let's see where that goes. So more streaming and more content for you to enjoy. Moving on to some other changes which you may or may not have noticed. Celsi over the last couple of months and in fact over the last year have been ringing in some massive changes. Essentially what Celsi have done is they're getting out of the hardware side of mobile networks. In other words, they used to have their own mobile network, they used to have their own towers, they used to have their own platforms, used to have everything that a mobile network like MTN and Vodacom had, and they tried to compete. Simply put, it was a hard one. The amount of money they needed between MTN and Vodacom and Telcom, they're spending billions of rands a year on actual hardware, putting up towers, updating their technology for 5G and 4G and all this other stuff. And Celsi so, so essentially were too small and weren't making enough money to compete in that space. So what they have done, they have essentially started switching off their own network across the country and moving everybody onto Vodacom and MTN, depending, you know, what type of contract you have with them. One of the little negatives that has popped up and what's coming around, so you can check this out for yourself if you're a Celsius subscriber, is that data speeds seem to be far lower than the network you're roaming on. So if you're on the MTN network uh, and you're on a cell C, um, some, you tend to have get slightly lower internet speeds. For the most part, on a mobile phone, you won't notice any difference. But if you're using it for streaming or other things, you probably will. So get onto cell C and find out what's going on. They haven't responded to a couple of the journalists who've tried to find out what's going on. And it should. It's just interesting why they should be on a lower speed than the equivalent MTN or Vodacom subscriber, though perhaps it's a commercial thing. They want to keep their people slightly less, uh well, create a bit of value for the MTN and Vodacom people. Not cool, but that's the way it is. But, Celci so have actually done something that is really cool and it's really interesting, and that is you know, we've all heard about these please call me's, we've heard about Call me back if you've got no money on your phone. And prepaid in South Africa is huge. In most countries around the world, other than South, you know, major developed countries, prepaid is five, ten percent of the total connections, with most people being on some form of contract or some sort of corporate deal, which has a completely different mix. So the vast majority of people don't even think about making phone calls. Where in South Africa you can have tens of millions, where eighty to ninety percent of the connections are prepaid and the balance are contract. So you get a ton of people out there who just can't afford to make calls all the time. They buy data when they need it. They buy and make phone calls when they have to. But generally, they're not 100% on all the time. And they may, either in an emergency or if they want to get hold of a loved one or contact a business or whatever they want to do, they can use a please call me, which is a little bit clunky and a little bit difficult to use. So what Celsi have done, which makes perfect sense, is use a company called StarLogic, which actually was a South African company um, back in the day, and they've now gone globally. But what they do is they, if you have no money and you make a call, they automatically route your call to the StarLogic platform, which is completely IP-based, it doesn't go through their network, and the phone rings on your side for a few times and then cuts off. So it looks like a missed call. You don't have to do star hash and miss me rounds. You just make a call, and you get a miss call to that number. And for the, what's interesting, Celsius maintain that you 50% of the people that are called through that platform do actually call back. One, it's great for them; they get revenue, they get a little bit of termination fee. Doesn't matter what network you're on. And two, those people that desperately need to get hold of you can actually get hold of you even though they have zero airtime on their phone so i think it's a brilliant idea it's something that i think should be seamless and easy and this works really really well so you don't need to dial the star before placing the call or anything you just simply make a call if you have no airtime and you're on the Celsi network and whom you're calling will get a missed call and hopefully they call you back you do it three four times if it's urgent i promise you you'll get a call back so well done. I think that's a smart move. It doesn't cost anything extra. It's probably a very um, small thing that Celci had to do to add to their network. And I think it adds massive value, especially to prepaid people or children or those that are out there and they've run out of airtime. Or well, there's a challenge. And sometimes, you know, we all use WhatsApp, but in many cases, a phone call can actually be sort of better quality and more solid. So now we'll be back with uh, Jason O'Reilly straight after this, talking all about cybersecurity and the hacker transnet straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And as promised, I have on the line Jason O'Reilly, who is the head of cyber at uh, Advanced Intellect right here in Johannesburg, South Africa. And he has some, I think some pretty decent insights into what's been going on. So welcome to
1: the show, Jason. Good morning, Stephen. And uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now,
0: if you haven't been living under a rock, you would have realized that there's been a massive spike in cyber attacks and hacks and denials of service and you name it, ransomware across the globe. And the, and this has been affecting many governmental, platforms and big companies pretty much in countries from South Africa all the way to the US, Europe, you name it. And the last or the latest attack that's affected us at a time that couldn't have been worse is our port authorities and the whole, um, the whole of transnet systems were, were hit with a cyber attack. Give us a little bit of insight into what actually happened because our dear government has actually told us nothing other than they have a problem. Please be patient.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, again, a lot of people are, are reading certain things from EWN and there's a couple of other um, channels that are, are posting information that is, is coming through. So it, it's pretty sketchy right now. Um, but, you know, as they are in the midst of, of dealing with the attack, um, they've managed to get uh, some of their systems up. Um, and, and again, they're, they're putting in 24 hour shifts at the moment with regards to dealing with the challenge. Um, so it, it's, it's, you know, again, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be part of a, a community of, of, of cyber professionals. And, you know, again, um, what's been interesting in this little community that we're aware of is, you know, people are trying to offer their, their assistance and their help. Um, the, the challenge is this is, is, you know, once, once a cyber attack of this nature, uh, ends up in your organization and, um, you're not entirely prepared for it because not many not many organisations are. Um, the ability to recover, uh, unfortunately, is where we start to see significant challenges. So, for example, like with Transnet, um, they've effectively uh, decided they're going to go force majeure. Which effectively means for your listeners is that all the contracts that they're pretty much held liable for in delivering and you know making sure that they they, they do their jobs um, effectively now be put on hold because of this specific incident, which is which is quite interesting. Because can,
0: can we just back up there a little, just to give, I think a lot of our listeners really are not that technical, but essentially today you cannot run a modern business without platform systems computers so all the goods coming in the country all the trains that are running in the country the trucks you name it everything that transnet runs have a computer system that manages controls all this stuff and what happened here it appears that the hack shut the
1: computer system down Correct. And, and, and typically we talk about normal IT systems like you and, and your listeners are well aware of. Um, and then we talk about operational technologies or OT type technologies, which effectively are the machinery that they operate. And and usually in most cases, those systems are, uh, again, are, are not uh, connected to the same network. But we do find that, for example, in these kind of scenarios is – um, the attacker has managed to not only get into the organization, but effectively proliferate across, uh, the company's network and, and enhance so effectively shutting down systems that run trains, system that runs the cranes
0: that manage the, the containers at the ports. So this is, it's not trivial.
1: This is a significant attack on the infrastructure of a modern society. Correct, correct. And and Stephen, just to highlight is, you know, one of the things that we're seeing with ransomware attacks, a lot of these attacks are pretty automated, right? And when I say automated, is they're looking, uh, effectively, let's let's be honest, when we look at attackers and we see how they're targeting systems, by the way, they don't sit there and go, okay, today we're going to target Transnet. That's not what they do. Uh, in some cases they do when they focus around spear phishing, but... In many cases, in fact, in, in over 90% of the cases, these guys effectively send out um, communication on the Internet and they look for vulnerabilities. And if any organization in some way, shape or form is vulnerable to the external Internet, um, it effectively opens the door for these hackers. They're highly sophisticated. They're well-funded. Uh, they're multi-jurisdictional. Um, they anonymize their activity and In most cases, they evade prosecution. We've seen significant, significant events um, across the waters in the United States. Um, we've also seen significant events in uh, in Europe um, as well as the UK. So, again, you know what? Uh, unfortunately, it you know people could say, well, it's not going to happen to me. Um, these are automated attacks, and they're going to happen to anybody who happens to be vulnerable uh, and are non- they're not practicing a level of of good cyber hygiene in their environments.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So, essentially, the mechanism of this is an automated attack finds a vulnerability. That vulnerability is then then exploited in some way or another. A message, systems are compromised. A message is sent, pay us 000, 000 a million dollars or a trillion bitcoin or whatever it is, otherwise we're going to delete your data. Now that appears, they haven't confirmed it anywhere, but that pretty much it appears to be the modus operandi of what happened to Transnet. It happened to um, medical companies in Europe current, recently as well. So now, what does a company do to prevent it in the first place? And should the unlikely or the likely event that it happens, what should companies do to mitigate and to recover as quickly as possible? Because those are two things that a lot of companies, they say they've got all the various firewalls and stuff and things that you need in
1: order to protect yourself. But obviously, they don't work in all cases. And and, and I want to come back to what you were saying earlier on about this terminology called digital transformation. Um, we we've seen digital transformation escalate tenfold um, since COVID nineteen, which means everybody is collaborating, everybody is sharing, everybody is on some digital platform. They're consolidating their technology. They're all going to the cloud. And and I need to mention this is. We 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 do know that the cloud is just somebody else's server sitting in uh, somebody else's uh, environment, right? So, And a lot of people are not aware of that. They think that in many cases, if I'm taking my stuff and I put it on somebody else's stuff, it's going to be better off. But that doesn't necessarily mean the case. But this terminology around digital transformation really has um, escalated how organizations should be looking at the problem. Um so in in you know, in, in our opinion as as a business, very simply is, you know, when it comes to something like ransomware, these guys are so clever that they're using what we call zero day attacks. And when is we talk about zero day, we, we're basically saying that the vendor software that you're using, they don't know that they've got this hole. Um and e- effectively if they don't know they've got this hole, they don't know they can be exploited. Because in the cybersecurity industry, you know, people can fix what they know. Unfortunately, what we're seeing in a lot of these attacks is they're attacking what people don't know. There was a very uh, recent attack that happened on a company called Kaseya, um, where e- effectively Kaseya is a managed services provider. They service over a 1,000 companies, and Kaseya didn't realize that they actually had a bug in their own software. And effectively, um, cybercriminals managed to uh, manipulate that bug and get into their 1,200 customers and encrypt their system. So it just shows you. So coming back to the fix. It it is about understanding your environment and what is connecting to your environment. A lot of people do not know that. They don't know what's connecting to their networks. They don't know how they're connecting to their networks. And it is so important that you understand that. So it's a visibility of where the potential issues could come from. Correct, correct. And, and today, there is really cost-effective um, mechanisms and technology that can give you a full view of your digital estate, where you're connecting, what, uh, you know, websites you may or may not think that you have, uh, fraudulent things that, that potentially may have been spun up without your knowledge. So there are really, really good cost-effective mechanisms for organizations to understand that visibility. Okay. The other-
0: Point, something that's really interesting is that a lot of people think that these are, are, are main attacks on the main computer system, but often in a company as big and as widespread as, as Transnet, they could somehow break into the system through a, a little connection on a train somewhere.
1: Correct, correct. I mean, you know we spend a lot of our time… I know
0: that it looks like the movies, but still, <laughs> it, 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 it's entirely possible.
1: No, we did an interview recently, and we spoke about these movies, Double O Seven, and uh, you know Bruce Willis Diehards, and and the reality is, there's a lot of those things, unfortunately, are coming to fruition today, and it's because of our connected environments. But you know, on on the point that you're highlighting is, you know, w- we spend a lot of time trying to educate uh, people um, on the risks of cyber, and and why we do that is, the more conscious people are. When they're engaging with the digital means being the Internet, um, the the better it is that they can make decisions on whether or not they click that link or whether or not they type that URL or click on that, that link. And the challenge that organizations have today is even with, you know, the multi-millions of rands or dollars or euros that they're spending on, you know, these controls to stop. It is, believe it or not, social engineering, which effectively has a statistic of over 77% globally causing most of these data. So on that, what you're saying is that even though these attacks are automated,
0: they're constructed in such a way that they gather information from multiple different places and hmm. then target maybe two or three users or one particular area, and suddenly they break in and take over your system. So it's not like it doesn't happen in an instant it's actually coordinated and organized back to where you know unfortunately again we're running out of time but just to what would smaller and even large companies what should they be doing to protect themselves firstly and how do you mitigate against such sophisticated attacks uh,
1: so again it's about being prepared um one of the things that you know we orchestrate a lot with our customers is having a foolproof incident management plan you you the one thing we know about cybersecurity, it's, and, and again, I'm going to use the age old tagline. It's not if it's when is whether you're a small business, whether you're a large global entity, it is about being prepared. Um, what we do a lot with our customers is we do scenario planning, um, and even some of the smaller clients where we actually do some like simulations into their environment. So what if the scenario happened and, and that, that is, is very, very important because it isn't a matter of if it's a matter of when. Uh, the other thing that people can really understand is that a lot of the techniques that have been used today, like social engineering, are behavioral-based. So they should start looking at um, leading edge type technologies that look at user behavior versus just purely signature-type technologies which, again, are uh, are surely becoming becoming old and outdated. But now, in the case of Transnet,
0: I mean, they're a huge
1: organization.
0: They've got multiple users across multiple companies across the whole country, and it appears that they were woefully unprepared for the type of shutdown that they actually had to tell their customers they are putting all their contracts on hold, the whole force majeure thing. So how quickly, in ideal situations, could a company that big recover from an an extensive attack, which obviously this one was,
1: if they prepared? uh, Yes, absolutely. 100%. 100%. So we're seeing in the enterprises, um, that term that we spoke about, that visibility, that is their largest challenge. Um, their major systems, so typically an, an approach in, in an organization is to prioritize their most critical systems, right? And and when a company cannot Get up and running within a week, um, especially if they are this size. That you know what we do know is everything is about risk prioritization. So if you know that that application or that server or that you know specific item is is so critical to your business, that needs to be a focus as to if I go down, and again it comes back to the scenario planning. If I go down, can I get that system which is critical to my business? up and running as quick as possible. Let's go and run that program. And, and in, in, in this case, and by the way, there's a number of organizations in South Africa. 2020 was a crazy. We had probably around about 15, 20 significant breaches in, in our country. But what we saw very simply is there is many organizations, just like Transnet, were not prepared. In fact, um, one of the gym organizations, you know, took effectively four months Uh, you know, to get their actual financial systems up and running and going. So I think, you know, what it is, is it's about organizations and especially like Transnet, you know, as ill prepared as they may have been because I think one of the things that we've got to acknowledge is, you know, a lot of people turn around and go, oh, who's going to look at South Africa and, you know, who's going to pay attention? In fact, on one of the groups I am, it's like, what money do they think they're going to get from Transnet? And the reality is you'd be very, very surprised. We've seen, we've seen ransoms being paid. We've seen organizations still not, you know, not able to get up and running. But, it really is at the end of the day about prioritizing you know what it is that they need to get up and running so understanding you know if i was to go down or switch off the lights what are the key functions in my business i need to go and in the transnet case no doubt they will get up and running uh, if they don't have standard you know programs in place it'll take them a lot longer um but again you know it's it's a really really tough question you're asked but it you know again doesn't matter how an organization looks at itself where there it is a 25 man user company or it is a 25,000 user company. Risk prioritization is so important. What are those systems that need to be backed up and stored every day? And that should be your priority when we see the things that are going on in transnet at the moment. And don't get me wrong, they're getting up and running slowly but surely. Um, you know, it is about. You know, did they have the right things in place, the right risks? Did they run scenario planning? You ask yourself these kind of questions. Absolutely. Starts... Sorry, Jason, I'm afraid. I
0: hate no. to interrupt you, but we've run out of time. Uh, we have to go to our sponsors. Where can people quickly, just where can people find out more about what you do? and how to get hold of you if they want more info around cybersecurity.
1: Absolutely. So we're obviously readily available on the World Wide Web. So uh, we're at uh, www.advance.tech. Our details are there. We've obviously got three divisions, uh, one which focuses on analytics, the other one focuses on data privacy, and then, of course, ourselves, cybersecurity. So we're readily available and, uh, and happy to assist. Our numbers are there. Great. They can contact any one of the divisions. Great stuff. Thanks for joining us. And sorry, we couldn't talk more, but we have to break now and
0: we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Moving on, she's a social media influencer, a famous American blogger, and she has over the over a million followers on Instagram. She's also the star of My Unorthodox Life and daughter of fashion mogul, Julia Hart. Join Kathy Kaler this Friday at 9 a.m when she interviews Batsheva Hart about life in the spotlight dealing with public opinion and it's a community in conversation with Kathy Kayla Fridays at 9 a.m. So should be fascinating. There's lots of controversy around that, but stay tuned, Um, tune in and listen to all these interesting uh, talks and things that happen right here on high FM. Now moving on, as I said, to all the gizmos and gadgets it's been a slow time, very hard to get gadgets with all the lockdowns and people not delivering and not doing anything. And unfortunately, having just heard about what's going on with the Transnet hack, I think there's going to be even further delays in deliveries through the ports. So my job has become a little less interesting, not getting as many things to play with. But I have been playing with two things that um, have been really, really interesting over the last little while. Uh, and the first one is the Apple AirTag. Now they were launched a couple of months ago or uh, well, not even that long ago but an AirTag is essentially a little disc that has got a battery in it and, and it connects via Bluetooth to your phone and you can use it to track things. Now they distinctly say that you shouldn't track people with them but I know plenty of people who've popped an AirTag into their lunchbox, well not the lunchbox but certainly into the Backpack of their kids and other assorted people and off you go and you can track them But essentially what it is and they're available right now is a little disc that you what are we talking about a gadget that I found super useful And I've been spending well I've been connecting it to lots of things that I own and that is the Apple AirTag It's a little disc that you connect to your iPhone and you can use it to track things like your keys your wallet your bag your bicycle, it doesn't matter what it is, it's waterproof, it lasts a couple of years, it's got a built-in battery, and the genius of how the AirTag works is even though essentially it's working with Bluetooth, it doesn't need to be connected to your particular phone with Bluetooth. For example, if you've got a set of keys with an AirTag attached and you leave your keys somewhere, if there's an iPhone anywhere near that it will notify the user, which is quite cool considering that there's an air tag nearby and you can say, do not connect. But for the most part, people don't even notice that. They get a the little notification that an air tag's nearby. And if you look for your air tag, it will report its location through the find my on your, on your, on your iPhone. So if you just look for find my on your iPhone, it's really simple. You get the air tags, you pop, you open them up and they immediately connect. You give it a name. And you tell it, give it a description of what that air tag connects to, and then it's done and it's connected. Now I've used it to find my wallet, which I somehow misplaced somewhere in the house. I've used it to find my keys, which happen to go well, as they do. Left them in the car, left them at the office, left them in the shops. It's really an unbelievably clever and accurate um, system. What is so cool that if your 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 air tag is miles and miles away. Someone's iPhone will report where it is and it'll get picked up. And generally you'll find it works really well where there's higher penetration of iPhones. So in the urban areas of South Africa, certainly America and other places will work extremely well. In rural areas, you may not be so lucky. You must, you may have to wait until someone wanders past with an iPhone. But even with that said, the, the, the clever use of such a simple piece of technology that are available now from Apple stores pretty much across the world and certainly across Africa. They're not incredibly cheap, but saving your wallet, finding your keys can save you a lot more than the cost of an AirTag. From what I've been told and from what I've seen, they've only been out a short while, but the battery should last at least two years and you will get a notification to change the battery should that time come. But they're simple, they are clean, look for third party uh, key holders, as I said, the key holder, the, the key holders that Apple supply are great quality, but they are ridiculously expensive, as, as Apple always is. And um, they're just a great, convenient, easy way to um, to find your things. As I said, some friends of mine have popped them into the backpacks of their kids and then they can track their kids. What is super cool through the Find My app is as you get closer, it takes you right up to the point where the unit is and then you can make it buzz. Or and ring your phone buzzes and the little air tag makes little beeping sounds. In noisy environments, they're a bit soft. But I suppose that's a battery life thing. So if you're looking for a way to track everything that you have and keep it close to home, or if, if it's not at home, at least know where it's gone and where it's where it is. Definitely don't track your kids. Probably a bit of a privacy invasion, unless they're little and you really need to know where they are. Um, But older kids, I would suggest you don't do that. It's not cool. But other than that, it's just the most smart, easy-to-use, and logical product. For you Samsung users, there are Samsung versions of it. I haven't tried them, so I can't really say how well they work, but they probably work in a very base, very similar system. But if you're an iPhone user... These are an absolute no-brainer. Attach one to all your keys, put one on your wallet, put one on your briefcase, and you'll be able to track wherever it is, wherever it goes, very, very, very simply. Now, we'll be back straight after this. We've just got a quick break for our sponsors, and we'll be back with my last little bit of gadgets and gizmos.
1: This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM.
0: Now, moving on to something that I've just started playing with, With the demise of Huawei as a smartphone provider, I know they're doing reasonably well in South Africa, but without Google, hard to recommend them. Many other Chinese have come and have actually improved in in prominence. And I've been playing recently with a Redmi Note Pro from Xiaomi. Xiaomi have been around quite a while in South Africa. They've been around in the world even longer. And they're always being seen as a, a reputable Chinese brand that really push the envelope in terms of quality versus price. And the new Note 10 Pro is going to retail for under 6,000 Rand and has some incredibly high-end features. My first impression is this is a a fully loaded um, Android phone. It's got all the Android features you would want. It has a great screen. It's light, good battery life, and some amazing technology features considering the price. The camera's great. The battery life is good. Uh, I will do a full review of it in due course, but I just wanted a quick heads up. If you're looking for a a sub-6,000-rand phone that really has sufficient memory, great quality, uh, and good support, that's the other thing. It's supported by a good company in South Africa. I think there's a tough one to beat. There are a lot of phones on the market, but this one certainly seems to tick all the boxes versus price, quality, and certainly functionality and, uh, that's what Xiaomi has always done. So check it out. It's called the Xiaomi Redmi Note 10 Pro. You're going to see them pretty much at all the dealers across the country. And, um, it is very, very well priced for the quality. Have a look and see what you, you think. I'm, I'm pretty impressed. I'll do a full review, uh, in due course. But in the meanwhile, I, my first impressions are that this is great value, great quality from a brand that Looks like um, it's going to do extremely well It's grown enormously in the last little while Now, on to the last little bit of excitement And this is really looking forward You know, knowing what technology is coming is really important But there's always been a massive race in in, in in technology With regard to chips and memory and speed And all this type of stuff Obviously quantum computing is coming down the road And we're going to see some enormous Advances, But at the core of every single piece of technology we have, there are silicon chips and chips that process ones and noughts in a binary code or process the data in a way that allows us to write all these fabulous programs and do everything. And there are two sort of issues that have always been a problem, and every year they, they release new chips that are smaller, faster, more power efficient, take up less space, and can do more things with more transistors. Well, a university in Israel, and I have to mention that, in Tel Aviv, the Tel Aviv University have reached a scientific breakthrough whereby they have created the world's thinnest technology. It is only two atoms thick. They've created a matrix of, of material that can store and switch, store information in the ones and noughts and, um, create transistors with only atom thick currently the technology we're using is talking about hundreds of millions of atoms thick, or hundreds of thousands of atoms thick to do anything and the benefits of that is they could quadruple or exponentially increase the amount of storage in the same amount of space they could exponentially reduce the amount of power that chips use so for example you charge your phone once a year at the type of of, of things where we 're going here you 'd have chips that could last for absolute years, and you could in, you could store terabytes of information on the tiniest chips in spaces and places that you wouldn 't even think of doing so and they are busy working on these um, these new materials and using quantum mechanics and all sorts of interesting stuff like electron tunneling and i 'm not going into the technology of this, but the net effect is they 've proven that using. Um, technologies that are only two atoms thick that can replicate and do things that current technologies need hundreds and hundreds of thousands of atoms and, and technologies that just use tons of power and store very little information in, in, in this space. So stay tuned. There are enormous things coming in technology going forward, and we're going to have faster, longer-lasting, much smaller and hopefully much cheaper technologies from all our gizmos and gadgets going forward. I don't know what we're going to do with them, but I'm sure we'll figure something out. And on that note, I've been told our time is once again up. Talking tech just flies by when you're having fun with technology. So stay tuned. Come back, same place, same time, every week, right on High FM for all the latest news about gizmos, gadgets, and technologies. This is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk.